0: Hey, welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Katie, and I'm joined today by two friends. Let me introduce you to them. One is Pastor Ben Morrison, and I'll have him I'll tell you a little bit about himself here in a second. The other one is Pastor Craig Babcock here, also here in Colorado with me. Ben's visiting from out of town, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of hermeneutics. It just so happens that uh, these guys also studied theology, and Ben particularly has made the focus of his master's study on the topic of biblical interpretation and hermeneutics. We're going to explain to you what that is and why it matters. And you know, sometimes you hear these big theological words and you're like, why do we need these you know weird theological terms can't we just read the bible right like why do we need all these trappings isn't this man's wisdom and uh i mean how does this sit with the whole idea that uh god uses the foolish things of this world to put to shame the the wisdom of man? Why do we need theology, if you will? Um, And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how this big word means something really practical and something that all of us are doing, whether we realize it or not. And we want to make sure that we're doing it well so that we can actually understand God's word the way that he wants us to. And that we get out of it what God wants us to get out of it. So, without further ado, uh, let me introduce you to these guys. And guys, as you introduce yourself, tell us just very briefly about your ministry, but also tell us about your um, your theological education. Ben, you're up.
1: All right. Um, yeah, my name is Ben Morrison, uh, lead pastor, church planner in Svitlovodsk, Ukraine. Uh, I've been there for 16 years, Ukraine for 20 total. Um, also, uh, serve as the coordinator for city to city Ukraine, which is a ministry that, uh, seeks to promote church plants in, uh, the key cities of Ukraine. So
0: tell us about your theological education,
1: theological education, uh, studying right now in London school of theology, um, finishing up hopefully soon, uh, my master's on, uh, aspects of biblical interpretation or to put it more succinctly hermeneutics.
0: Right. So, Um, I also got my master's degree from London School of Theology. So we have that in common. Indeed. Um, And before that, you studied at Bible College. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? I
1: can, yeah. Um, So I I did uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College. The first two years of that uh, in Indianapolis, and then the last two in um, Vita, Hungary. I finished up my bachelor's of theology there.
0: Great. Craig, tell us about yourself, your ministry, your education.
1: I'm Craig Babcock.
2: I'm a senior pastor at Front Range Calvary, which is in Thornton, Colorado. I've been a senior pastor of various churches for the last 10 plus years. And uh, my education is currently, I'm actually in school for my uh, master's in um, theology at Calvary Chapel University. But before that, I actually do not have an undergrad in theology. I actually went to Oregon State University for anthropology. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have Went from the uh, secular university now into the theology side of things.
0: So, you haven't yet got your master's? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I am
2: like three months from it. No. But I know you have your eye weeks.
0: already on a doctoral program. Yes. What is it that you're hoping to study? So,
2: I'm actually looking at them in current um, talks and working on my um, proposal right now. For theological anthropology um, or the study of how God and man interact, specifically from the University of Birmingham in, in England.
0: Yeah, not in Alabama.
2: Not in Alabama. They don't have that in Alabama.
0: Right. Okay. So, the <laughs> Birmingham, gotcha. Okay. So, let's talk about hermeneutics. Uh, ben, this is kind of the focus of your study. So, I'm going to have me and Craig's going to be like my co host on this one. Let's do um, it. So, Ben, tell us, first of all, what is hermeneutics?
1: Um, I mean, to give it a, a brief definition, hermeneutics is um, basically the study of interpretation in general. It's, it's particularly the study of interpreting texts. Uh, so, you know, it, it tends to be with um, especially religious literature. So, the Bible, uh, there's, you know, Quranic hermeneutics. Um, there's also such a thing as legal hermeneutics. So how you interpret laws, the constitution, that sort of thing. Uh, basically it's, it's understanding how do we, uh, make meaning or what meaning do we make out of texts?
0: We had a hermeneutical, um, snafu ourselves recently, didn't we, Ben? I suppose we did, Nick. Maybe you could tell our listeners (laughs) about, I don't want you to just tell the story. I want you to explain how that can help them to understand what hermeneutics is and why it matters. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a fair point that hermeneutics concerns not only kind of these big historical important texts, but really any, any communication in reality. Uh, so we kind of were having a messaging, uh, through a third party about my trip out here. And, uh, the third person wrote that, you know, I'll try to find a date that works for you to come out. Nick's on vacation. And, and I read it as like, you know, sometimes you use the present simple to for future, right? That Nick will be on vacation during those dates that I could come out. Whereas turned out what he meant was Nick is on vacation now. Therefore, I'll figure out the dates, but he'll be here when you come out. So, I mean, it was, you know, the same words. But but each person you know views it through their particular lens, and there's actually a lot that goes into why we view them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any any given communication or text in this case, um, yeah. So because of that, there was a little bit of mix up in our uh, in our planning. But right. So
0: there's some assumptions being made. Sure. There's some things being communicated. There's an intent from the author or the communicator, and then there's the aspect of communication, which is the person reading or hearing and how they understand what's being communicated. And, um, yeah, just why does this, why does this matter? What would you say to the person who says this enough of this theology stuff? Let's just read the Bible and do what it says.
1: <laughs> um, I would say, how are you determining what the Bible says? I just
0: how? read it and I do what it says. Cause it's obvious.
1: It's obvious to whom? To me. <laughs> exactly. So you're using your own... To everybody, Ben. So but you're... I'm
0: just trying to play the... Right, no, uh, I get you. ...advocate and I'm of... And
1: I'm giving those yeah. answers back to your advocate. Um, so if you're saying it's obvious to everyone, how would you explain that different people have different interpretations?
0: Well, obviously they're wrong. And I'm...
1: <laughs> so it's not obvious to everyone. I'm
0: right, and the people who agree with me are right, and those who don't are dumb.
1: So... That's good. It's good. good. I mean, but isn't this Um, really what, what basically, I mean, maybe someone wouldn't say it that bluntly. Right. But, but in reality, that's kind of what they're assuming. Yeah. Um, it is, it is. And it's interesting because there's actually a lot that goes into that, that hermeneutical approach. It's highly individualistic. Uh, it's certainly enlightenment, uh, epistemology, which is another big fancy term. Um, you know, just how we know what we know basically. Um, and it's, you know, it's discounting, um, really any input from any other sources than your own. And again, it's a subjective opinion because you're a subject. So there may be an objective meaning somewhere out there, but there's no such thing as objective knowledge. There's mm-hmm. only subjective knowledge because you're the subject knowing it.
0: Ben sounds wishy-washy. Um, I'm not you know, I could see somebody come back and saying, oh, this is that that new kind of um, postmodernism sure. that you're advocating mm-hmm. for here, Ben. We're going to get back to your response to that. I was just going to gonna ask
2: the question. Was that in response to Nick's question that it's hermeneutics is something that's very individualized for him or hermeneutics is very individualized in general?
1: Uh, I think the point is that everybody has a hermeneutics, um, which it is plural term, but used singularly. So a hermeneutics. Um, but the problem is some people understand that they have a hermeneutics and some people don't, but they still have one. Cause again, hermeneutics simply means the way that you approach and make meaning from any given communication, you know, usually again, text. Um, yeah, so you've, you've got something you maybe have never stopped to think about why you make the conclusions that you do, but there is something that's pushing you towards that. Mm-hmm. And that would be, whatever that is in the complex of why you interpret things the way you do, that would be your her- your hermeneutics.
0: Yeah, I understand. But okay, just, and maybe you've answered this, but maybe just answer it real clearly sure. for our listeners. Um, you know, what would you say to somebody who's like, oh, well, you're saying that, you know, me saying that I understand the Bible correctly and those who disagree with me are incorrect. You're saying that, that I'm being subjective about that, but I I would imagine a person would come back and say, no, I'm being objective. I'm objectively correct. And those other people are objectively, (laughs) and also objectively humble, incorrect. Well, let's say I'm, uh, subjectively humble. But let's say that those other I'm I'm essentially saying that I I think I'm it's black and white for me, bro. Sure, like sure, I'm yeah. correct. Right. Other people are wrong. And um and this isn't like subjective. This is just a matter of fact. What would you say to that
1: person? I mean again I guess I would probably use a number of examples um you know to to go into um, <clears throat> you know, some historic examples, let's let's go back a couple hundred years in America, you know, a, a, an overwhelming majority, right, of of at least the white Christian people who we would say, you know, in in many other points they held orthodox Christian doctrine, you know, and yet they read certain texts of the Bible in a way that allowed them to justify slavery. Right? Now, I think most people, I would hope, today would say that was wrong, right? But, but they're saying, well, no, I mean, you know, here's the Bible, and here's this text, and I've pulled it out, and I've used it in a particular way, and, you know, therefore slavery is okay. Um, you know, and, and that's only to say that if we are okay with saying other people and large swaths of other evangelical, you know, historically Orthodox Christian believers have been deeply mistaken on certain points— in the way that they interpreted particular, uh, you know, passages of the Bible, let's say, to say then, to take that and say, but I could never be wrong. Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's actually an incredible act of arrogance uh, to say, you know, everyone else are, are fall, fallible and fallen, but not me. And I think, if, you know, if you believe really much about Christianity at all, um, you know, you believe in, in, in the fallenness of man and you are one of those humans, right? So, you have to allow the possibility that it could be that your interpretation is not tantamount to God's objective truth. Uh, now, again, that's, it, it, you mentioned postmodernism. It's not to say that there isn't objective truth. There is, right? Mm-hmm. Because, again, from a Christian standpoint, we believe that God is the author, right, of all truth. He is the source of all truth, and that's objective. He's objective. The problem is we're not God, mm-hmm. Right, and so we can't say, "Well, yes." We, I mean, we can say there is objective truth, but we have to at least be humble enough to say, "How well do I understand, you know, what it is that God's communicating? Am I willing to listen to anyone else but myself?" Because again, if you're not, that's a big problem.
0: Kind of like First Corinthians thirteen, we see through a glass darkly. Yeah, sure, sure, and that's a biblical thing.
1: It is right. It is that, for sure. So
0: we're trying to see something which is there, mm-hmm. and yet our view of it is skewed in a glass darkly. It's literally a lens. right? And oftentimes a good way to explain hermeneutics is that it's a lens yep. through which you view something. Yep. Sometimes you want to use a particular lens and we can talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but maybe Ben, um, I think you, what you're saying here is that, people are using hermeneutics whether they realize it or not. Is that what you're saying? Definitely,
1: yeah. Um, again, I mean, there's, there's no way with us as human beings, human subjects, who are those knowing and interpreting that we don't have some form of lens, again, whether we've thought about it or not. Uh, but but it's, it's like saying that I see, but without my eyes, right? Like that just doesn't happen. Um, so, it's the same thing here. It's like, well, I have this interpretation, but it's you know completely independent of any of my lenses. No, like you have to see it through some lens. So, the question is, are you aware of it? Are you aware of how the particular lens you've used has been formed? Mm. Uh, are you willing to admit, again, that because we are not God, uh, that that you may have something to learn from somebody else in this world? Um, which again, my hope would be that anybody who would call themselves a Christian, at least would, would certainly agree with that.
0: Do you think that some hermeneutical lenses are better than others?
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah.
0: How can we know which hermeneutic lenses are better than others?
1: Um, there's, there's, that's a great question. Um, there's a number of, of factors, you know, and this this overlaps to some degree with with your area of your master's study, Nick, which was a theological method, right?
0: Yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah, And I've done a previous episode about that. By okay,
1: way. okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's there's scripture itself, right? Which again, um, we believe to be, you know, within historical orthodox Christian teaching, uh, we believe to be the word of God, um, right? The inspired text. Uh, given to man from God. That's his communication. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of nuance that goes into that that we could hash out. But um, beyond scripture itself, um, you know, you certainly know this, obviously. There's, there's tradition, right? Church tradition going all the way back to, you know, the beginning of the church from Christ and beyond. Um, you know, there's, there's reason, what would be called, you know, human reasoning, um, experience, Right. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And community. Uh, so, you know, again, in, in the community point back to kind of what I was saying before that nobody interprets in a vacuum, I guess you could put it that way. Right? right. Um, so each of us has, has been formed by certain experiences in our lives by the other people that we are with who are next to us, interpreting, making similar conclusions. We'd like to, again, we would like to believe sometimes that we're completely objective. Um, you know that there is that there exists this objective viewpoint for us to be looking from. But again, unless you're God, and you are omniscient, which we are not, you don't have that viewpoint. That's the problem. Uh, but that's sort of the myth that came about through Enlightenment epistemology, which again just means you know how we know what we know. Um, you know that says that there exists this objective viewpoint that you know I can I can look and have absolutely no questions or doubts that this is how it is, right? Um, you know, and there's, there's a number of ways that that played out both within Christian teaching and other historical situations, but yeah, don't want to get off onto a tangent too much.
0: Okay. Craig, what are you thinking?
2: Uh, I'm just wondering how you would relate the culture that someone's in. Is that play? The, is that the largest lens that someone views their hermeneutics through, uh, either from what's being currently taught at the church they grew up or the examples that they set forth as the example of christian life and christian interpretation of the bible is is that one of the largest places that we get our personal hermeneutics from
1: um yeah i mean you know we could discuss how exactly culture should be defined um mm-hmm. you know at every everything from kind of the the micro unit right your family right? What, what you grew up with, you know, how were your parents Christians? If they were, you know, what was their understanding of the Bible? So, you know, to going broader to maybe your local church that you grew up in, how people approach scripture, um, how people in that particular local expression related to the larger Christian church, right? And, and you know, historical Christian church as well. Uh, and then you've got, you know, the broader, um, I mean, we could say the church tradition, but then you can also say your cultural tradition, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, um, you know, certain, certainly within North America, um, you know, very, very strong different emphases, like, you know, strong individualism. And there's pros and cons to that, of course, um, but it's there. And that's, you know, that's just the way it is versus where if you, if you talk to somebody from, you know, an African country or, you know, an Asian country where it's a much more a much more communal approach. Um, to and this is kind of going up your alley, Craig, with mm-hmm. anthropology and all that. Um, you know, to to really the way that we exist, right? right, and the way that we, and again, also the way that we interpret. Um, and I and I think really to that point. Nick you brought up this this example which is really not hypothetical because I've heard people say more or less you know what you said that's I've like heard... well my my view subjective that's that anybody who doesn't agree is just off base I've heard a lot of people say yeah, that Yeah yeah unfortunately um and and again that really is is a it they're unconscious of their own lens because that kind of an approach to any text any interpretation you know especially to the Bible could only be born from a very individualistic Culture, uh, which again is is certainly not everywhere across the globe. So, in a sense, saying that you know my my cultural assumptions are the only right ones like that that's actually pretty arrogant and prejudiced. Um, Now, again, the person may not think of it in those terms, uh, and yet if you dig a little deeper, that's that's really what's happening.
0: From a philosophical perspective, this thinking is very much influenced. It's very um, it's not only unique to North America. But it is definitely turned up to eleven in North America. Yep. But it, it is originally influenced by a type of thinking or philosophy called Scottish common sense realism. Right, right. And um, and you know, even when you hear people talk about common sense, they you know they often say common sense isn't as common as it used to be. And if you really dig down on what common sense is. Common sense is very cultural. It's very individualized. And it's essentially saying common sense is what I think everybody should automatically know, right? But that is common sense in your culture, meaning what are the expected behaviors in certain settings? And um, when you get outside of your culture, you realize that, oh, sometimes in other cultures, they do things completely differently. This happened to me when we lived in Hungary. Mm -hmm. I realized that, I mean, I didn't realize it right away, but I realized after a while that we had actually been offending people, but not on purpose. We had actually thought that we were being nice and hospitable and other people took it as rude and inhospitable. Uh, Here's one example of this exact thing was, you know, in... America, especially in the West here where we live, it's very common for people to, you know, they want you to feel at home in their home. And so they'll tell you where things are and you can go get them yourself. And they feel like that's the most hospitable thing I can do is tell you, you know, you can do whatever you want, you know, go do your thing.
1: Go to my fridge and get your own food. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's get a drink over here. Here's how to do it. And we think that we're being really open and nice. Over in Eastern Europe, uh, they consider that extremely rude. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because if you're a guest, then you should be served. And to say, go get it yourself, is uh, considered quite rude. So the point being that um, common sense is very if you will. It's culturally defined and it's different for different groups of people. But this whole idea of Scottish common sense realism Mm -hmm. and how it affected the way that we think about the Bible is that we think in North America, particularly, as you mentioned, very individualistic culture, perhaps the most in the history of the world, Mm -hmm. uh, is that we think, well, obviously this is how it is. And everybody around me agrees on this. And if they don't, then they're the outlier. But your pool of people, sample size, right, is quite small. And it gets back to the whole thing about community, right? So they're all within the same very small community. Sometimes it really helps to get outside of your uh, local context, eh?
1: Definitely. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's this... Uh, Kind of little story that uh, David Foster Wallace, who was not a Christian, but, you know, had had some some brilliant thinking on on certain issues, including this, you know, tells the story of, of, um, you know, uh, two young fish swimming by an older fish. And the older fish says, how's the water today, boys? And, you know, they just kind of smile and swim on. And the one turns to the other and says, you know, what is water? Yeah. Like, you know, because you're in it, you're, you're so surrounded by it, you don't see it. That's the thing. Right, And so sometimes to even understand that there is such a thing as water or there is such a thing as my cultural lens, you have to get outside of your cultural lens and see that, oh, there are actually other ways of looking at these questions. Um, right. And, and to just reiterate a point, because I know that
0: sometimes, you know, people's antennas are up and they're, they're cautious about things. They, to reiterate a point, we're not saying this is not like the whole... What is your truth? Speak your truth. I'm going to speak my truth. And I've got my truth. You've got your truth. Everybody's truth is equally valid. No, no, no. We're saying there is a truth. And our goal is to see that. But oftentimes, because of other things that fog the lens, if you will, our view of something may not be as clear. It can be skewed by our experiences. It can be skewed by our community it can be skewed by our flawed reasoning etc right so here's a question how do we become aware of the hermeneutics that we are using
1: i mean you know to use the saying knowing is half the battle right Uh, realizing that you're actually using a hermeneutics and and starting to ask questions about okay what what is my hermeneutics how was it formed, what other hermeneutics are out there. Um, you know, that, that really just that self-awareness. And, and again, I guess I would say, uh, humility, right. Along that, along with that, which is a Christian virtue, of course. Um, you know, that, that really is a great first step, uh, to not, to, you know, kind of in response to your, your, uh, your devil's advocate person who's like, you know, what I, my opinion's objective truth, basically, right? Uh, to realize that, you know, again, there is, there is objective as Christians, we believe there's objective truth, right? But there's not objective knowledge again to repeat because none of us is God, because none of us has that whole picture where none of us is omniscient. Um, Now let me push back. Are there
0: things on which God has spoken that are absolutely clear and there's no, no question?
1: again, it, it, this goes back to the question of what do you consider your source of authority? As Christians, if we're looking to scripture, there are a number of things that are very clear. There are a number of things that, you know, um, really for the entirety of the existence of the Christian church, you know, after maybe some very early kind of hashing out what these things mean, you know, everybody has basically been in agreement. I mean, there, there hasn't been a lot of, a lot of differentiation on, on certain things like, first of all, the existence of God, the fact that he's a creator, right? Uh, you know, again, after a little bit of hashing out of, of how these things play out, but the understanding of the Trinity, right? The death and the resurrection of Christ and his coming again for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of Apostles' Creed type stuff. It's
0: um, an area that I actually wrote my dissertation on, which is um, a topic of perspicuity or what's called the clarity of Scripture. right? And, and what we said, and again, we did actually a previous episode on this, is just that Scripture is clear on some things. I mean, it's clear, and yet is m- certainly very, very clear on certain things. Yes. And there are other things that are not as clear. True, true. But those things are not as clear. We understand in light of that which is clear. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's and a hermeneutical things. principle. And this, some things yeah. are unclear by design. Also true. Yeah. Craig, jump in here.
2: Uh, the things that are untrue by design. The Bible is very unique. One of the things… Unclear by design. Unclear unclear by design
1: yes you said untrue unclear by design wow <laughs> we just want to be clear way off we don't want to be unclear about what's <laughs> <Not>, true <laughs> yes
2: yes yes one of the the interesting things that about the whole idea of what is truth and uh what is clear in the bible specifically that that are kind of the foundations that we have in our own faith and that's always the the biggest difficulty when it comes to looking at how we interpret scripture, especially from a hermeneutic lens, especially from our own lens. And one of the ways that I always like to see it is, is how does our experiences change that? Or how does the experiences of other people change how we can view our things? Ben, we had an earlier conversation about how when you were, uh um, Went to the Ukraine that you came from the 90s America, which was the four spiritual laws. You had all that, but that had to change because of a corrupt government. Um, could you share kind of with that of how that viewpoint was something that kind of could miss a very clear truth of the gospel? And but it can be mixed with something that it, it, our viewpoints change or our her- hermeneutic view,
1: yeah. Um yeah, to, I'll give that example in just a second. Um, you know, Nick, to go back to your original question of, you know, how, how do we start to realize and use, you know, hermeneutics responsibly, let's say. Um, part of it is that dialogue with other people and, and particularly a cross-cultural dialogue. This is actually what I'm writing my dissertation on, um, particularly in the works of Leslie Newbegin, uh, who was a long-term missionary in India, originally from England. Um, he was there for, you know, 40 plus years. And so really on the ground ended up putting a lot of these things into practice. Um, you know, that, that there's scripture again, which as Christians, we believe to be the word of God. So, so how do we come to that right understanding? How do we refine our hermeneutical lenses? And really the the answer is, you know, in dialogue with people with slightly different hermeneutical lenses, but who also accept scripture as that ultimate authority, right? So it's not just that, well, I'm the missionary, I'm going to go to this other culture and because I've got all the truth, right? My, my interpretation is truth. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to teach them because they're all, you know, ignorant, um, and that's how that's going to go. No, you're going there as much to teach us to learn. You're going to be allowing the people in the other culture, again, both under the authority of Scripture— Um, But in this dialogue going back and forth and and each of you returning to scripture, you know, okay, well, this is how I see it. Well, this is how I see it. Okay, well, that's different, but let's go back to scripture then. What does it actually say? How are we reading these things? Um, You know, and and much of Newbegin's point is that there's a great benefit uh, in that sort of cross-cultural dialogue um, you know, for for a better hermeneutics uh, of scripture. So the example that Craig and I were talking about the other week, um, you know, specifically having to do with communicating the gospel, you know, and that to unbelievers. Um, you know, again, the four spiritual laws, and America as a whole is a very uh, law-based culture, right? I mean, America is, is one of the most litigious cultures, um, you know, uh, really probably in, that has ever existed. Um, you know, but for that reason, especially back in the 90s, maybe it's starting to broaden out these days, but, um, you know, you would hear gospel presentations, and it would be the four spiritual laws, or it would be the, it would be the courtroom drama, right? God is the judge, you're the, the, you know, the convict or not yet the convict, I guess, but the, the criminal, you know, but Jesus, he's the lawyer, he's the advocate, right? And he sort of intercedes before the judge works out, you know, some kind of, you know, payment of, of the charges and you're arraigned, you know, or you're, you're, um, uh, justified basically. Right. Um, So that's all this very legal litigious thing. What I was sharing with Craig is that, you know, in in Ukraine, I found that this picture didn't really resonate with people a lot when I was sharing, um, sharing the gospel. And it took me a little while to figure out why that is. And a lot of it has to do with uh th- their view of the legal system there the courts the corruption of the courts so when you say well yeah you were guilty but but you know Jesus the 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 lawyer the advocate kind of talked to the judge and they worked out a deal and let you off like it sounds like corruption mm-hmm. right it doesn't sound like a great thing I mean that's part of the problem there uh, but on the other hand because of that there's not a lot of you know r- great concern I mean this this is really an east-west divide overall is that the west uh you know culturally the west including western europe north america um, you know australia new zealand in that as kind of primarily uh you know coming from england and whatnot um they they have more of a law and guilt culture mm-hmm. uh, whereas many countries in the east would be more of a shame and honor culture mm-hmm. uh, so you know and, and ukraine is kind of at a crossroads between the two even even geographically um, but what I found is that, you know, this whole legal courtroom drama didn't resonate as much. But the scripture, that's not the only way that the Bible talks about the gospel. For example, it also talks a lot about shame. Mm-hmm. It talks about how Christ, you know, he, he hung naked. That's, a, you know, this is this picture of shame from the very beginning from the Garden of Eden, right? They sinned and they're naked, right? And they realize they're naked and they need to be clothed. Um, so, you know, talking about how Christ took our shame, and this is probably similar to Hungary's, my guess, but you know, even little kids when they're outside doing something they're not supposed to do, like the grandmas on the benches, they, they don't say, you shouldn't do that. That's a law based thing. They say, how are you not ashamed of yourself? Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's a a completely different motivation. Um, And so, when you begin to speak of the gospel, not so much as, you know, law, guilt, you know, in in that sense, legal atonement, uh, but rather, you know, shame, you know, covering, uh, you know, reconciliation before the Father. Like, that… I found that that resonated a lot more mm. with a lot more people. So, this would be an application, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's not to say one is wrong and one is right. They're both biblical, right? But the problem is we get locked into our own little cultural lens and we think, you know, my little slice of the pie is the whole pie. Well, it's not. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you're going to limit your effectiveness in communicating the gospel to other people unless you're willing to learn from those other lenses.
0: Mm. That was really good. Thanks, Ben. So, uh, you know, there are some hermeneutical lenses. Sometimes you have to put on a different lens, right? Like I snowboard and I have several different lenses. I have this, uh, these cool goggles where I can swap out my lenses with these. they're held on by magnets, right? So I'll go out and I'll look at the snow or the sky on a particular day and I'll say, Oh, low light. I need to put on my yellow lenses or it's always bright light today, I need to put on my gray lenses, right? And there are times when we need to do that with the Bible. And one of the hermeneutical lenses we're taught by Jesus, actually, in the scripture is what we call a Christocentric hermeneutic, which teaches us to read all texts of the Bible with the lens that somehow these texts are part of a great story, which culminates in Jesus and His life, death, and resurrection, and future return. Um, Are there any others that come to mind real quick? That we need to put on uh, at certain times.
1: I mean, there's a, there's a number of hermeneutics out there. Of course, um, you know, uh, there there's what's called theological interpretation, which is slightly different. Uh, they're more welcoming of allegory uh, than than you're saying Christocentric, um, which can be a broad term. Maybe a more narrow term would be redemptive historical mm-hmm. approach, um, which which is a particular point in a range of. Of, of views that would all be considered Christ-centered, if you will. Right, but these are. Uh, these but are, there, there are other ones that are kind of further out there, right? So there, there's you know, um, kind of a liberation hermeneutics, right? Mm-hmm. A liberation theology, um, you know, God's preference for the poor, that sort of thing. Um, there's you know, there's feminist her- hermeneutics. I mean, there's there's even kind of in our days there's sort of LGBTQ hermeneutics. There's uh, one about uh, handicapped hermeneutics. Actually. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Um, and,
0: and let me be clear again for our listeners. As we said before, not all hermeneutics are equally no, are good. Yeah. Some of them are ones that people put on a lens and we would say, well, you're really, at this point, uh, maybe, you know, going beyond the intent of God in, inter- in inspiring the scriptures. So right. not all hermeneutics are good. Um, some are better than others. We want to be aware. We have to wrap this up right now, but I'm just going to throw out a few books that I recommend Maybe you guys could throw out a few that you recommend, then we're going to be done. Okay? Here's uh, one of them, but Ben, one of the things you were talking about with New Begin earlier is something, he's referring to something that has a name, and the name is named, uh, and then there's a book after this name. It's called The Hermeneutical Spiral, Mm -hmm. and the idea is that we're spiraling upwards towards a better, clearer understanding of the truth, and that's... uh, So The Hermeneutical Spiral, that's a book, uh, I read that in school. Mm -hmm. And another one, it's much more like uh, every person type of book, is a book called Peace Child by Don Richardson. We sell it at our church bookstore, and he wrote a follow-up book to it. Uh, He was a missionary in Papua New Guinea, and he talks about the real-life story of him finding what he calls the hermeneutical key to that culture, which in their case had to do with reconciliation between warring parties through the sacrifice of a child, the gift of a child. And he said, oh, this is this is the way that I can communicate the gospel to them, that they will understand it, that it will make sense to them. Right. That was the hermeneutical key. But he talks about it and he has a follow-up book called um, Eternity in Their Hearts. And in that one, he, he examines several cultures and talks about this. And this is like, I mean, so many copies of this book have been sold and it's just a great read and really recommend it. So those are my two recommendations. Any recommendations from you guys?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Graham Goldsworthy is one who's done, um, a lot of work on Christ centered hermeneutics. So he, he has a newer book that I believe is actually just called Christ centered hermeneutics. Clever Um, title. Clever. Very clever. (laughs) At least, at least you know what it's about, right? There's there's not as much hermeneutical unclarity. There you go. Um, (laughs) So he's got another one that is, um, I believe it's called by God's design. Uh, you know, hermeneutical spiral is another great one. Um, uh, Graham, the author's name, you remember Graham, Graham, Graham. Graham, Some I'm blanking on it right now. Um, yeah, Newbegin is another good one and he's, he's a little bit more at a popular level. I mean, some of it is philosophical and maybe hard to grasp at first, um, you know, I would say, especially with kind of that, that triangulation, if you will, between, um, the scripture and then, you know, the, the, if you, and this is to a particular application, the missionary culture and then the receiving culture. Uh, so that's in his book, open secret, um, which, which he talks about that, um, is another great read. Um, Craig, what do you get? I
2: don't have any books off the top of my head. I'll be honest with you guys. Okay. That <laughs> right. I'm like specifically about hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, I find hermeneutics is to be a very interesting subject, and there's a lot of good books on it, and I've read a few, but I wouldn't have any that I guarantee recommend on this podcast.
0: Cool. Hey, well, thank you guys for listening today. Thank you, too, for being here and having this conversation. And uh, for our listeners out there, hey, if you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, and uh, you can check out the blog of Theology for the People over at nickcady.org. And if you haven't done so yet, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It'll help get the message out there and help other people find this podcast and this content. God bless you guys. Hey everybody, Nick Katie here once again. And I want to invite you to a special event that's taking place in... In the month of September, on September 17th and 18th, here in my home state of Colorado, it's called the Expositors Collective Training Weekend. So this is a 24-hour immersive experience in which you are going to be trained by Bible teachers and preachers experienced in the craft of how to craft a message and and how to present a message. All the aspects that go into preaching and teaching the Bible with Christ at the center and doing it well in a way that's compelling, in a way that is faithful. I would love for you to come. I'm part of the steering committee of the Expositors Collective. It's a cool ministry. Check us out at expositorscollective.com. And that's also where you can find information and sign up for this Colorado Springs training weekend. You know, the, the Expositors Collective is a group of pastors, leaders, and lay people who just have a heart to raise up the next generation of Christ-centered expository preachers. So if that's you, maybe you feel a calling from God on your life and you just want to explore that. Maybe you want to stir up some gifts that might be latent within you. We'd love to have you come out. If you are involved in teaching the Bible in any way, whether it's to kids, to youth, or to congregations, come out. We would love to have you. Uh, This is an open to participants ages 18 through 35. Now, if you're outside of that age group, contact us anyway. Maybe you can come and serve those younger people in some way, but this is primarily directed towards those in the 18, 18 to 35 age group because we want to raise up the next generation, and we want to see them equipped with the tools that they need in order to preach Christ faithfully and well. So check it out. Again, registration, information, all that good stuff is available at expositorscollective.com. And you can check out the Expositors Collective podcast. I host episodes over there every now and then, but every week they have great interviews with preachers and teachers of the Bible that can really help you in your public proclamation and your private study of God's word. Thanks and God bless.